0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So, it's the 29th of December. In a few days, we will be celebrating a new year, a new decade. Today, traditionally, would be the Sunday sermon that is supposed to be motivational. There's hope for the future the best is yet to come, vision for the new year. I've had so many people talking about 2020, 2020 vision. You know, it's a um, good anecdote to be talking about. But I want to take a slightly different direction today. The question that I want to ask is how much rest are you going to plan for yourself through 2020? How much rest Are you gonna give yourself because I've had so many conversations over the past three or four weeks and people have been talking about how exhausted they are how busy they have been particularly the time leading up to Christmas everybody seems to and even I feel like we're just crawling to the end of 2019 I've heard people say I will be happy to say goodbye to 2019 so What are we going to do next year to make sure that we don't end next year the same way, in exhaustion and calling to the end? In the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Derek Redmond, a British athlete, was the favourite to win the 400-metre race. Um, I believe the previous Olympics, he had some health issues, and he couldn't make it. So this was his year. These were his Olympics. He made it to the semifinals, and the gun went off, and he started running. He was gaining up, um, getting to first place, and at the 200-meter mark, he suddenly stopped and fell to the ground in obvious pain. He'd torn his hamstring. It would be um, devastating to his career. That would be the last race that he ran. And as the other runners ran past him to the finish line, he made a decision. He looked up and he decided, I do not want DNF written next to my name on the records for life. I do not want did not finish against my name. So he got himself up and he started hobbling along the racetrack towards the finish line. And eventually all of the crowd saw what was happening. The winner hardly got any recognition because people were so amazed by his tenacity as he was in so much pain. Then there was more commotion in the stands and a slightly older, slightly grayer man started pushing his way through the crowds, pushing his way past the security guards, made his way onto the track, putting his hands in the faces of the people trying to stop him. And Derek's dad came and grabbed a hold of him and spoke words of affirmation and love. He said, Derek, you don't have to do this. You don't have anything to prove. And Derek said, Yes, I do. I have to finish. And Derek's dad said to him, Fine. We started your career together. We will finish it together. And together, they went towards the finish line, and for the last few steps, his dad left him, and Derek crossed the finish line. He made it to the end. Friends, if that's how you feel, at the end of 2019, like you are hobbling along, like you're injured, like you've had a difficult year, I wanna tell you there is one who will come and put his arms around you and he will help you over the finish line. He said, what I started in you, I will complete. Jesus is your dad. He is your helper in every sense of the word. And if you feel like at the end of this year you need him, if you watch the footage of Derek and his dad, you see how his dad comes around him and then Derek just throws his arms over his dad, leans, puts all of his weight on his dad, and they go towards the finishers line. That is what Jesus can and will do for you. But there are some things that we have to put into place in order to finish the race as well. So I want to go back to an Old Testament story. I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Um, The nation of Israel is in a complete mess. They've been ruled by a number of bad kings. The nation is split into two. We have Israel and Judah. I think there was something like 19, 20 kings over each, um, over each area, only about eight of those kings followed God and lived for God. So the society was slowly turning against God, slowly turning towards idols, and God raises up some prophets to start turning the hearts of the people back to him one of the prophets you will know, the prophet Elijah. And his main enemy was King Ahab, and King Ahab's wife, the evil woman that you will know of as Jezebel. Jezebel followed the idol god Baal. Um, She was killing all of God's prophets, and she was trying to bring the nation into worship of Baal. You all know the famous story, I'm sure, of Elijah when he challenges the prophets of Baal to a competition. He calls 450 of them. So there's 450 against Elijah. And he says, let's make altars. Let's kill oxen, put them on the altars. And then he says to the prophets of Baal, now call on your God to bring fire onto the altar to, to burn the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal shout and they call and they wail. Nothing happens. And Elijah says, shout louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. And they shout louder and they cut themselves. Nothing happens. And then Elijah says, bring water. And the servants bring water. And, and he, on his altar, he completely covers the wood, the sacrifice, everything with jars and jars of water. And then He calls on the name of God, and God sends down fire, burns up the sacrifice, burns up the wood, burns up the altar, and the power of God is shown, and the people fall on their knees and say, God is the God we should trust. Elijah takes all the prophets of Baal, and this is one of those stories in the Bible where you think, "Oh," and he slaughters the lot of them. This incenses Jezebel. And this is where we're gonna pick up the story, in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. She says, I'm coming for you, Elijah. I'm coming for you, and I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree. He sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. How many of you have said that? I've had enough. I'm tired. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. at the mouth of the cave. And then God goes on to speak to him and give him instructions for what is to come. Elijah had been through a very stressful time of his life. He was spent, exhausted. He'd had enough, he was ready to die. And the Bible tells us that he went and found himself a quiet place and he slept. Then he ate and he drank. Then he slept some more. Then he ate and he drank. And then he listened to the voice of the Lord. Basically, Elijah took the day off. He allowed himself to rest, to be quiet, but not just for his body, for his spirit. He allowed himself enough quiet to listen to what God is saying, which I think in our world today can be very difficult. There is so much noise crowding out the voice of God. As human beings, as flesh and bones, we need fuel to live our lives. We need to eat well. We need to sleep well. And we need to hear the voice of God for the future, for our lives. This would typically be that time of year where everybody make great promises to themselves, to God. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. I'm going to read the Bible this year, the whole Bible. And we start the year out really strong and really great. And after the first week, we're exhausted and we, only go to the gym once and by the end of the month we decide to cancel our subscription and when we've missed a few days of bible reading we think oh there's too much to catch up I can't keep going so friends what I want you to think about for this year what I want you to promise yourself what I want you to schedule into your your calendar is time for rest time for peace Time to slow down, to fuel your body, and to hear the voice of God, because that's what's gonna get you through. That is what is going to give you what you need. Rest is actually a really big theme in the Bible, which tells us it is important. And remembering that God, the creator, created us, he knows how we work, he knows what we need, And he tells us in the Bible that rest is important. If we go back to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in towns. God said, work for six days and take a day off. And don't expect anybody around you to work on that day either. It's interesting to me that he said, six days work, one day off. He didn't say, work for 12, and then you can take two days off, or work for 18, and then you take three days off. It's important that we have regular, consistent rest in our lives. Now, if we even go back before the commandments, and folks, it was a commandment, It was listed in the same list as do not steal, do not lie, do not murder. If we think that those are important, why do we not think rest is as important? Why do we allow rest to get waylaid in our busy lives? It was one of the Ten Commandments. But it was talked about even before the Ten Commandments. If you go back to Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites wandering in the desert, they ask God for food. God sends manna and quail. And what does he say to them? He says, every morning I will send manna for you and you go out and you collect what you need for that day. But only for that day. Because the next day, there will be more fresh manna for you. And if you do collect and keep it for the next day, it will be rotten. But on the sixth day, collect what you need for two days, because on the seventh day, you need to rest. And that was the only day that the manna did not go rotten because God said, on the seventh day, you need to recuperate, you need to rest, and you need to spend time with me. So that's Exodus 16, Exodus 20, right back to Genesis chapter two, God himself rested. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Your day of rest, friends, is blessed. It is holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. Now, in the New Testament, we hear Jesus. He talks about how he is Lord of the Sabbath. We don't have to be, it, it has to be a Sunday or it has to be a Saturday or you just need a day off. You just need a day of rest. Jesus saw the importance of rest. In Mark chapter 6, when they've been ministering and healing and doing all sorts of things, he says to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And quiet is such an important word because we feel. Our rest times with noise we fill it with doing other stuff when sometimes what we need to do is just stop and rest before that in Mark chapter 4 Jesus said to the disciples let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake because they were tired, they needed rest, they needed to get away from the crowds. And this was the story where Jesus falls asleep in the boat and a big storm starts raging and the disciples are afraid. But Jesus slept. Jesus did what his body needed until the disciples wake him up and he stills the storm. God said rest was important, Jesus, said rest was important. In the late 70s, so within half a century of today, the Japanese people invented a new word in their language. I don't know if I can say it right, but the word is karoshi. And it literally means overwork death. And it is a word for people dying because they're overworked. And they started noticing in the 60s and the 70s, there were a lot of young people, men and women in their 20s and 30s, dying of heart attacks and strokes because they were working 60, 80, 100 hours a week and not taking any rest. So they actually formed a new word in their language to talk about it. It seems like it's a fairly modern problem. Since then, the Chinese, the South Koreans have also come up with new words. Um, Apart from the people dying of strokes and heart attacks, there were also an increased number of people committing suicide because of the mental and the emotional stress. Friends, God's laws and his commandments are good for us. Sometimes we look at the things that he said in the Bible and we wonder, Why would he say that? That's not that important to me. But when we see statistics, like people dying because they're working too much, we understand when God says, your body, your mind, and your soul need rest. We need to listen. When God says something in the Bible, he has a reason for it. Taking time off from work, It's not just a nice thing to do, it is an essential part of our lives. So we need to rest. But I think the question that I really want to ask today is how can we rest better than what we are currently doing? Not just take a day off, but how can we really make that day restful, peaceful, so that we recuperate and we refresh. Now, I love reading novels about the Amish people, and we were talking with with Dominique about this the other day because she lives in Pennsylvania, and many of the books that I read um, have been set in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's known as Amish country. And it amazes me how people in this day and age and people right in the middle of a first world country could choose to live without all this modern day technology. So all this stuff that is supposed to streamline our lives is supposed to help us with the things that we do every day, make our lives easier and better. When I read those books, I think I really wonder, does this stuff help us or does it hinder us? And one of the things that they talk about in the books is Amish people do not have telephones in their homes. They most certainly don't have mobile phones. They don't have telephones. They tend to have one telephone in a shed at the end of the road that everybody in the road would use or um, at a junction, and the whole community will use the one telephone. So if you want to call someone, you have to get out of your house and you have to walk down the road to use the telephone. And they'll have an answering machine so that if people need to contact those in the community, they can leave messages. They don't allow that interruption into their daily lives. And we have come so far with telephones. You know, I can remember as a child sitting at at the... in the lounge with the family, and if the phone rang, everybody would jump out, I'm going to answer it! And now, it's in our back pocket all the time. It interrupts our lives constantly. We never are away from work because our emails are on our phone. We never are out of contact, because somebody can text us or WhatsApp us or call us, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And I'm guilty of this. If I text one of my kids and I don't hear back from them immediately, where are they? What are they doing? What's going on? This happened to us a few weeks back. I was expecting Alex home from school um, at a certain time, and he didn't come, and I texted him, and he didn't answer. Um, after a little while, I started messaging his friends. Does anybody know where Alex is? And it turned out he had a shift at work. It was one of the December Thursday nights, and he was working. And we'd forgotten that. But I was, I was so worried about him because I couldn't get in contact with him. When I was a child, we didn't have those things. We are never out of contact. Our phones keep us constantly busy and even when we do have time to sit and be quiet what do we do we pull the phone out look at social media watch youtube videos and our brains do not get a rest dr caroline leaf neuroscientist and christian she talks about how as humans we have lost the ability to be alone with our own thoughts friends how can god talk to us when we are constantly connected to other things, when we are constantly watching YouTube, when we are constantly listening to the voices of other people through social media, how can God talk to us? How can we hear His voice and be refreshed? It's not good to be constantly connected. Do you have a hobby Do you have something that you enjoy doing on your day off? Sometimes we get some time off, and we think, well, what am I going to do with this time? I've got nothing to do, so we'll binge watch Netflix or something. I have a couple of hobbies. I love to read. Um, I also love to crochet. I've done various different crafts over the years. At the moment, crochet is my favorite. And when people see the projects I've done, they say to me, where do you find the time? How do you have the time to do that? My answer is always, I make the time. I say no to other things so that I have the time to do it. I've always loved reading. As a child, I would gobble up books. In my early 20s, I always had a novel on the go. And then I had kids. And my whole life got turned upside down, and suddenly, Reading was right at the bottom list of my priorities. And um, up until a few years ago, if I got through one or two books in a year, it was a lot. Usually, maybe during the summer holidays, I'd get to read. And then a few years ago, I decided, you know what? I really enjoy reading. I'm going to start making some decisions, and I'm going to make time to read. So January 2017, I set myself a goal, this year, I'm going to read 10 books. I thought to myself, one book a month with a little bit of wiggle time, I can do this. So I started changing my day, I changed my evenings to make time to read. And I ended up reading 24 books that year. Because I enjoyed what I was doing, so I made more time for it. Now, I know that there are some people here who read a book every few days, and you probably read about 50 books in a year. But from one book a year to 24 books, that was good going for me. This year, I I set a goal to read 25 books, and I'm on book 28. I might make it 28 by the end of the year. And I don't particularly read instructional books. I read novels, books that I will enjoy. I have some favorite Christian authors, so I'm, I'm getting good stuff as well, but I also like other books, but I make the time. Friends, find something that you enjoy doing so that when you have some quiet time, you're, you're, you're resting intentionally. We need to schedule that time in. I heard about a pastor who, he and another pastor were trying to get together for lunch, um, and they were struggling because they said, what about Monday? No, no. I've got a meeting on Monday, what about Tuesday? No, I'm out of town, what about Wednesday? And I got to Thursday and he said, uh, Pastor number one said to Pastor number two, how about Thursday? And he said, no, I've got nothing scheduled on Thursday. So he said, oh great, we can do it. And Pastor number two said, no, I have nothing scheduled on Thursday. And Pastor one was, so we can get together? And he said, no, you're not getting it. Nothing is in my schedule for Thursday. On Thursday, I am doing nothing. And after some serious health setbacks, 20 years previously, he had seen the importance of rest, and nothing came between him and his day of rest. Friends, we need to be intentional about obeying God's word about resting our bodies. If God rested from his work, if God commanded the Israelites to rest from their work, if Jesus took the time to rest, if he took them apart, his disciples apart and told them to rest, why on earth do we think that we can get through life without resting our hearts and our souls and our bodies? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's a verse we know really well. It's so easy to read it and smile and say, thank you, Jesus, for your yoke and move on with our busy lives. We need to be intentional. He says, take my yoke. That's listen to my voice. Listen to my, my commands. He says, learn from me. That's do as I did, as well as what I said. Follow my example. So we're just gonna take a couple of minutes to really be intentional about thinking about 2020 and what we are going to do to make sure that we finish the year well, without injury, without exhaustion. So let's just close our eyes. And I want you to take some time to consider your life as it is now and ask ask the question, am I too busy? Am I doing too much? Where in my schedule can I carve out time for rest and recuperation? What can I do differently? What can I change? in my everyday life that would give me the time to do something I enjoy? What can I switch off that will give me the chance to listen to the voice of God, to hear that still, small, quiet voice? What do I need to give up to be able to take on the yoke that Jesus has for me? What do I need to say no to in order to make sure that I rest well? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us instructions to follow and example to follow. I thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I pray, Lord, that starting from today, we will be listening to you and making time to hear your voice, that we will be obeying your commands in the Bible to rest our bodies our souls, and our spirits. I thank you, Lord, that you will help us to be intentional this next year about rest. And I thank you that you are that one that comes around us, that puts your arms around us, that supports us, that helps us across the finish line of this year. I thank you that you love us and that you care for us enough to interrupt our lives and say, do something different. We give our new year to you. We give this next 12 months to you, Jesus, and we say, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources And subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.